Welcome to the C Word Podcast. I'm your host, Beck Hughes. This is where creative meets business. Here we explore what it takes to harness your creative gifts and turn them into a thriving business. You can have a brand and business that allow you to create work that feels amazing to call yours, have clients you love serving, and live a life that feels like the only place you want to be. Well, hello there and welcome to the C Word Podcast with me, Beck Hughes. Now, today is episode 27 and you need to be prepared for a juice fest, basically. I am talking to Kate Toon about, well, everything, to be honest, from puppy dogs, Kevin Bacon, to toxic personal development, clients, taking things personally, creativity, what it is to be a misfit entrepreneur, confidence, and focusing on the big idea as creatives, we cover a smorgasbord of topics. The best part about this episode was shooting the breeze with Kate Toon. The hardest part was naming it, because we cover so much ground and there is so much gold that I couldn't give it one label, to be honest. Kate Toon is an award-winning digital marketing entrepreneur, an online business success story, a Google beast tamer, straight-talking copywriting coach, and a popular educator, speaker, author, and podcaster. She's a down-to-earth human on a mission to demystify the realities of running a successful online business, and she does plenty of that in today's episode. Kate is also a proud business misfit, a mad good hula hooper, and a slightly wonky roller skater. (laughs) I'd love to see a combination of hula hooping and roller skating. Maybe that's her next reel. I should also mention before we begin, just in case he's listening, that Kevin Bacon's movie was Footloose. I did Google it after our chat. How could I have forgotten it? So sit back and enjoy an awesome fireside chat packed with pearls of wisdom. But just before I let Kate loose on your ears, I just want to remind you that my Creative Value Incubator is currently open for enrolments. Doors close on the 13th of October, so I think that'll be about a week, a week and a bit once this episode goes live. So jump in and take a look. It's at beckhughes.com forward slash creative hyphen business hyphen incubator. Kate Toon, welcome to the C Web Podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. Welcome, my lovely. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Now, the first thing I need to say, I think, about <laughs> Kate Toon, and throughout this whole episode, I'm just, just going to refer to you as Kate Toon. Everyone does. That's all right. <laughs> like even close family members call me Kate Toon. It just sounds well. They go well together, don't they? It's just it's you. You can't be just Kate now. You are. It's just like Kit Kat. You can't say just Kit. It's Kit Kat. Exactly. That's fine. Exactly. It's who you are. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you are aware of this, but I used to work with an actor. He was in um, Grange Hill, good old Grange Hill. I loved Grange Hill. So he was an actor come finished artist in an agency. And he always used to talk about this thing that all actors were like three degrees removed from Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know that one, right? Yeah. So he had all these, even he was three and he was just in like, you know, little old Grange Hill. And I was thinking the other day, anticipating this chat that we were going to have. 
And I was thinking about how, when has my path crossed with Kate Toons? And there have been a couple of times, which you won't be aware of because you're famous and I'm not. Oh, whatever. <laughs> but it occurred to me that I think in, particularly perhaps in Australia, there is a thing that every, can I say solo entrepreneur? Is that a really ridiculous? Oh, no, I think we can say that. Yeah. We can say that. Yeah. Is three degrees removed from Kate Toon. Oh, my God. Am I on the same level as Kevin Bacon? You might be. Wow. You probably need to now to need to do a dancing, singing movie or something as your next I, thing. Flash dance. Is it flash dance? Was that his one? I think so. No, it, was, it wasn't flash dance. Was it wasn't it flash dance. It, I, now I feel oh. the need to Google it, but it was something like that. All right. But that's what I think, because our paths have crossed a couple of times. We we ended up in a few clubhouse streams together. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're allowed to talk about clubhouse anymore. I don't think so, no. That might have died a death. Yes. Um, but we also have a mutual... It was a client of mine, and I think probably more of a business acquaintance of yours, which is Sarah Connolly. Oh, yes. I love Sarah. Did you do her website? I did her brand design. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So at the time when I met Sarah, who incidentally I did meet through Clubhouse. Yes. So did I. Well, there you go. It had its it, it had was a its snort, uses. by the way, in case people heard that and thought, what was that? <laughs> that, that was your was, pet pig in the background. It was my pet pig, Bernard. Um, yeah, so Kate, so I worked with Sarah on her mm-hmm. brand that she was working on at the time. And simultaneously, she was talking to you and getting, I think, some more business consulting Cop- support. Yeah, 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 a bit of, yeah, she was in my membership, my Digital Masterchef's membership. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, small world. Small world. And the outcome of me working with Sarah was I gave up drinking alcohol 18 months ago. Yeah, me too. So I'm now alcohol free. Same, same. I mean, I gave up about two years ago. I've had a few little wobbles along the way, but now I'm kind of more on the path as it were. But yeah, same, same. I mean, Sarah, I think coincided with me around the time that I was already considering it because I have another member called Nat who runs a business called Mindful Mocktail. And it just, you know, when things like you're like, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about one thing or like you see one yellow car and then you see five yellow cars. It's a bit like that. And um, yeah. Yeah, it was a bit, it's a bit serendipitous, I think. Yes, serendipity. Yes, yes. And I was the same. It was, it was just really good timing. So I, I messaged Sarah quite recently and just let her know, I, you know, you were my inspiration, but I, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. That's our three degrees or of Kevin one Bacon. degree of separation mm. from K2. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. And now we're zero degrees. Oh, my God. We're in the inner circle right. together with Kevin. <laughs> maybe we can now get zero with Kevin. Oh, maybe. I follow him on Instagram. Well, there you go. Let's make yep. that a goal of ours. Okay. Okay. So before we dive into some more chat, mm. what I want to do is just a little bit of, give you a little bit of a grilling, Kate. Okay. A few little questions just so we can get to know Kate Toon a little bit better so all I want from you is your immediate intuitive response to (gasps) two things I'm gonna fire at you in quick succession okay (laughs) inspired by can I just say my 10 year old son interview for his high school okay cool yeah it was a grilling that he had so are you ready I am ready to be grilled Kate Toon here's your grilling coffee or tea coffee dessert or cheese cheese banana or orange it's not a euphemism banana beach or rainforest beach 
home or away? Home. I love that. Me too. Yeah. Uh, this might confuse you, but we'll try it. Marty Bird or Walter White? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, I think Marty, because Walter really went dark in the end and was a bit of a turd. <laughs> Whereas Marty Bird's kind of just an equal balance of turd and good guy. Yeah, I think he's inherently a good guy, but yeah. just very... I've. He's so clever. Oh, I could talk. Let's just talk about Marty Bird. Oh, no. my God. Obsessed. I know. Yeah. Obsessed. And there's a podcast, just FYI. Have you listened to his podcast? I have listened to some of them. Yeah. yeah so I good. find one of the other co-hosts quite annoying. Uh, the ball, the tall, the tall one, the one whose head is like a an, an oblong, <laughs> that one. So I don't. Did he use just him, Will and Grace? No, I like Will and Grace, man. It's the other one. The other one. So but the just... episode with Jack Black is quite good. All right. Thank you. I'll listen to that this afternoon. Thank You're you. You're welcome. <laughs> Right, scripted or spontaneous? Oh, that's a really hard one, Becky. I'm going to say scripted. Okay, all right. Interesting. That I wasn't expecting that from you. Mm, nor was I. Oasis or Blur? Blur, because I've snogged Damon Arblan. Not degrees of separation from Damon Arblan as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a story there. My goodness. Mm -hmm. Book or Netflix? book dogs or cats dogs easy right i know what easy what don't even know to think about that one no. my neighbors just got themselves a brand new staffy puppy a little blue gray one yeah literally a few days ago and the poor little darlings being obviously trained to stay outside oh, and I be don't by like himself that. i don't like that Not i don't like that. it i've been in tears this morning kate um, my next door neighbor does that and I throw treats over the fence because I just can't bear it he cries all day it's really upsetting oh, I, I'm not coping at all my daughter's no. not coping our dog's not coping because she's uh, like why is he not curled up on the bed like me I know it's, I don't I'm yeah we might be alienating listeners right now but no a dog has got to be like the most important person in your household really in my opinion easily I, I make no secret to my kids that she is the favorite child Oh yeah, mine too. And also my firstborn is my firstborn. So yes. my dog came first, my child came later and there is a hierarchy and he needs to know that. Yeah. From birth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Okay. Now then, Kate, you describe yourself quite frequently as having a misfit approach to business. So I think I know what you mean by that, but I want to know from you, what you mean by that and why it works for you. I think when I started out in business, you know, business people were people who wore suits, they had business plans, possibly a briefcase, um, pencil skirt, potentially, all really obvious cliches. But I think also took things very seriously, did spreadsheets, talked about profit and loss, um, none of which are things that interest or inspire me, especially not the pencil skirts. But mainly, I think it's about having plans and goals and, uh, you know, measurable, you know, smart goals, measurable ROI and things like that. So none of those things are things that I had when I started out in business. You know, it's been a bit of a, you know, when you like run downhill and your legs are going and you can't really stop them and you get that slightly panicked feeling that you're going <laughs> to buckle and fall and roll. That's pretty much been my approach to business. Um, I don't take it too seriously. I'm probably a little bit over emotional. I'm not much of a planner. I don't set goals. Um, and therefore, I feel like I don't fit into the common mold of what 
businesses should be like these days I think the whole world has shifted a little bit more towards that you know we're all working from home in our knickers but we've got to remember I started like 14 years ago and it was still very pencil skirty so I think it's it's just the degree of pencil skirt that is <laughs> is is my measure there's like a ticker so I don't yeah. know if you mean it's just kind of being a bit irreverent being a bit playful being a bit silly being very good at doing what you do and enjoying it and making money out of it but not taking it all so bloody seriously I think that's the difference yeah I think it maybe it's realizing that there's not one way of doing things yeah, yeah. and that success looks different to different people and blah 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 I mean that's a really common mantra now but it wasn't when I started out so you know I wrote the book The Misfit Entrepreneur about five years ago um and obviously a lot changes in in five years I think I'd be writing a different book today put it that way uh but when I wrote that it was quite pertinent you know because I'd been quite successful but done none of the things you're supposed to do to be successful you know I didn't have a team I didn't have a mind map and a business plan and I've never had a coach or been in a mastermind I didn't have investment none of the things that you're supposed to tick and I'd still been a success so that was where I was at when I wrote that book and I think it's interesting because I I think you come from an agency background certainly I do mm. and very often agencies particularly sort of maybe middle tier agencies don't fit that typical mold either. You know, I think when you're inside an agency, you realize that most of them are flying by the seat of their pants a little bit. A little bit. I mean, I only ever worked at the monsters. I only worked at Ogilvy and, you know, AKQA and places like that. So they were, they're the huge, almost corporation level agencies. But then in, you know, in my freelance career, I've worked with a lot of smaller ones. And I definitely think that's true. You know, like they might have couple of designers but they don't have a copywriter and they don't have a strategist and they don't have an account manager and you know the receptionist plays the role of producer on a Wednesday you know it's a bit more like that but in Ogilvy it's a it's a military approach to advertising and and very different and I'm glad I had that experience I'm glad it's over but um it's it definitely shows you the other side as well that the really serious side and I think that's what I was rejecting really yeah yeah it does get very heavy in agency I think for me it was more about you know, there's a real expectation in agency, long hours, oh. huge pressure to perform. There's, I think I carried with me for a long time, this client is king kind of feeling that you have to really kowtow to the client, which just means that you get stripped of all of your humanity. <laughs> yeah. And I think that pressure to perform and that pressure to appear a certain way, you know, I, even just talking about agency now, I can feel the tightness in my chest. And that's the way I used to feel walking into work every day. Because, you know, you, yeah, you know, I was, I was, had spent my time as a producer, and then I became a creative. And just knowing that you were going to be given a brief that morning for someone like Qantas or Commonwealth Bank, and that by midday, you had to present something to the creative director, who was usually quite a harsh person. Um, and just knowing that every day that's what you had to do and you had to bring it every day is horrendous really I, 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 I definitely a young person's game but a very hard very hard time you know talking about drinking you know that that culture of drinking is simply because it's just so stressful and you know beers were bought around at five o'clock yeah. pretty much from Wednesday onwards and it's because and everyone got in because everyone was just stressed as all the time <laughs> yeah it's, it's quite, quite interesting like you sort of reminded me in a way that sort of whole what was really normal culture, which was to have a fridge full of beer and wine. And it was really normal to work until 10 o'clock, as you say, have a beer or a glass of wine on your desk from five, just to essentially get you through. Yeah. Yeah. And Fridays were just like, go for it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Do not miss that. And would not, you know, like, 
I would not want my my child to go and work in an age. I mean, I'm sure they're a bit better these days, but when I was, you know, we're old. Um, well, I'm probably older than you, but it was it was full on. And yeah. I'm, I'm very glad to not be in that environment anymore. Yeah. So on that note, on a similar note of this idea of the sense that there's a, you're supposed to do things a certain way. I'm really enjoying a lot of your content at the moment, Kate, some of your reels on how to not do reels. <laughs> My little rants. Yeah. yeah. Yes, your rants and your, I suppose, anti the celebrity guru cult brand kind of people that have sprung up over the last few years. So I was just wanted to have a little bit of a chat about that, why that message that you're sharing is important to you and, you know, what you see happening and why you object to it maybe. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when I started out, it was a very male-dominated space, these kind of entrepreneur gurus, the Tony Robbins type people, but it's spread into female entrepreneurs. And there's, a, for me, a lot of toxic positivity going on, especially on Instagram, where, you know, women are presenting themselves as having it all. Um, and saying that it's achievable and, you know, having clean kitchens and beautiful children and being a successful entrepreneur and then spreading with that the, the, the story that they're only working a few hours a week and that they have balance and that, you know, they're super chill and everything's groovy. And the thing is, because these days I'm relatively well connected, Kevin Bacon again, I know people who know the people and I know that that's not true, that the some of the people who are saying, oh, you know, my course is such a success and I did this actually you know they're, they're not making much money or they're working 20 hour days or they never see their kids or they're ill or they're you know they're drinking like fishes or whatever right and there's nothing wrong with that we don't have to share all our sad stories but we equally shouldn't be putting out that everything's perfect because it puts a lot of pressure on me and you because we're like well if they can do it why can't I do it and the truth is they're not doing it and therefore, it's a lie that we're buying into. And it's I just want people to be more honest that, it, you know, to get where you want to get. It, that can be really, really hard work. And there are sacrifices to make. And and you, you have a choice all the time, all the time. You know, do I want to work till midnight? If I do, I might be able to achieve this. But what are the consequences? You know, and I just want to be re real has become a bit of a fake word. Authenticity has become a bit of a fake word. But be honest about how hard it is, because I think a lot of people aren't honest and they're selling that dishonesty because yeah. they're usually the sorts of people who are selling courses and books and, and all that kind of stuff that says you can do this, too. But you can't do it, too, because they're lying to you about how they've done it. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100 percent. I yeah. think for me, what I particularly object to is, you know, this idea that you're sort of failing a little bit if you're not achieving that you're mm. that, and it's almost creating this little bit of a them and us kind of hierarchy I'm sitting up here in my ivory tower and this is what I'm doing and I'm looking down at the rest of you trying to claw your way up to me yes which I think yeah. is very unhelpful and in many ways it's sort of preying on vulnerability it is. I mean, I think there's a whole culture of personal development online. It's toxic personal development, <laughs> you know, that you are not good enough as you are now and that you must do this, join this masterclass, join, go on this retreat, buy this book, do this thing, because that will make you enough. Um, and it's the very people who are also having memes on their site saying you are enough. And it's quite a conflict between the two, you know, and it's it's confusing because obviously I sell courses as well and I have a membership, but they're very much not about transformation. I'm going to be honest, you know, they're about doing really working, working hard and following a process and kind of 
realizing that you can get there, but it's going to take you this, 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 and this. I don't sell the idea that you can manifest anything that, you know, you can just think it into being. I think having a positive mindset really helps. And I think looking after your mental health really helps. But the majority of the time, it's just a lot of hard work. And I think people don't want to admit that, that it's actually really, really hard work. Or you get lucky and you don't really know why it happened. Or you have powerful friends and, and a rich husband or a rich partner or parents who can look after your kids four days a week or whatever, right? We just, the playing field isn't level. And yet there are people out there pretending that it is. And I just want to acknowledge that it isn't. You know, if you've got neurodiversity issues or a disability or chronic illness, or you are a single mom or a single dad, the playing field is not even. And we need to just acknowledge that a bit more, I think. Yeah. For want of a better cliche, do you <laughs> see this as like your hill, if you like, that you're willing to die on? Possibly. I mean, there's a bit that, I, I feel like I have a part to play in that, but equally, I am done with climbing on my soapbox and 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 dying on anyone dying on any hill. To be honest, I don't want to die on a hill. I want to sit on my sofa. So while I will occasionally do a little real poking fun, I'm not going to go into conflict. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not going to have that drama. You know, I'm yeah. done with drama. I've had a lot of drama in my business, quite a lot of it self-created, if I'm honest, because I can be an absolute idiot at times. And I'm just too old for all that now. I just want to have a nice life. So occasionally I think I will kind of go, hey, don't believe all the hype. And then I'll go away again. I'm definitely not dying on anyone's hill. On that note, something that I hear you talk about is the maybe the evolution of your personal brand and how you felt for a long time you didn't have one or maybe didn't want one even were sort of like hiding behind the other stuff I would say you've always had a very strong personal brand but now you're maybe embracing that a bit more so why is that talk me through a little bit why you felt like you maybe resisted the personal brand for a while I think it's all about you as a person and how confident you feel yourself and when I started my business 35 I just had my son um I, I wasn't confident, you know, I'd worked in agency and you'd think that would give me sort of all these skills, but I didn't know how to run a business. Um, I wasn't confident in my personality, my looks, my humor, you know, even at that age, I still don't think you're fully formed. And I think just as you get older, you, it's cliche, but it, you give less Fs, right? You, you, you're like, I am who I am. And I've tried to perfect myself. Maybe I'm failing here and there. I acknowledge my failings, but this is who I am now, really. I'm not going to evolve much more. I'm going to try, but I am who I am. So I think it's all gone in flow. My personal brand has developed in line with my confidence. You know, so when I first started taking little tentative footsteps, you know, you got a few haters and you get people not liking you. And at first that used to kill me, you know, it used to slay me. Days worrying about some comment that some dude called Bob wrote on a post. And, you know, the classic one I always use is someone sent me an email saying, you're too ugly to send me emails, you know. Uh, you don't have to like, look at me with an email. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, it's just such a stupid comment. It's like the most stupid comment. Now I laugh at it. But back then I would have worried about it and gone, oh, maybe I am too ugly yeah. to send emails. Maybe I'm too not attractive enough to be online. And um, so I just think I don't care as much. And I've now got a good group of people around me enough people around me who like what I like it's not about creating an echo chamber of only people who like you but not everyone's going to like me and that's okay I don't like everybody for sometimes the most stupid reasons you know someone puts a picture on Instagram of of a muffin and I'm like I hate that muffin I'm not going to follow you anymore I'm going to block you what you know or I'm just having a bad day you know often the, the line I love at the moment is no one is a villain in their own story 
And and I these days am able to take a step back and think the woman the woman who sent me the email saying you're too ugly to send me email, emails. Well, what's going on in your life that makes you send an email to a stranger like that? It's actually hilarious and very sad at the same time. So I think it's confidence and being able to really distance myself from my business bizarrely has made me be able to be more myself in my business. Now I've got a bit of perspective. I look at what I'm doing and I can go, why are you doing that? That's interesting. Why are you reacting like that? Why is that triggering you? Okay. Sit with that for a bit. Maybe not react today. Maybe have a think about that. You know what I think it is, Becky? I think I'm growing up. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. I know. (laughs) Or does it? I don't know. I think it does. And it's wonderful wonderful not to stress about every single comment it's wonderful not to create little dramas for no reason and to worry about people and and to look look for problems you know like someone listening to this podcast will think that whole line about toxic positivity is about them because someone always thinks it's about them and it's not about them I may never have heard of them but you know I think we often create a lot of dramas by doing being on social media too much by looking at what everyone else is doing And we just need to sit and do our own stuff, put our head down, get on with it, put the music on and crack on, you know. So that's the evolution, really, just growing up a bit, being a bit more mature, I think. And I find it, it really interests me because I know as a designer and a creative, it's very typical of creatives to put their work, kind of put up this, here's all my beautiful design work. Mm. And you, I look at them over and over. I see all these, you know, Instagram feeds of designers and it's it's tile after tile of their lovely work. And I hunt around everywhere. Oh, who is the, is this even a male mm. or a female or, or a them? Who is, who is the human behind this? And very often you can't find them. And I understand exactly why people do it. And I wonder what is the process to getting that confidence? It's not as easy as just flicking a switch no. or reading that book. Yeah, the subtle art of not giving up. It's not that easy. <laughs> no, we're not like in Vampire Diaries. The vampires have a switch where they can stop feeling emotions. Which I, so it's not that I don't feel the emotions I do, but I'm not sure I feel them as deeply. And that takes, you know, not feeling the good emotions as deeply either. It's like treating failure and success both the same. So if I get a really glowing testimonial, I don't. It doesn't raise me up as much as it used to, and therefore that means that the negative feedback doesn't bring me down as much as it used to. So it's trying to be on a bit more of an even keel. And for me, the personal brand stuff was just about, it was about baby steps. So, you know, using a bit more of my vernacular, I, I have some weird idioms and phrases that I picked up along the way. So starting to drop those in a bit more, sharing a bit more opinion rather than just profile and portfolio, you know, um, talking about why I do what I do and how I do what I do instead of just talking about what I do. So rather than I'm a designer, um, I'm a designer who's obsessed with fonts, you know, or, you know, uh, I'm I'm obsessed with fonts, taking it one step further. And if I see you using Comic Sans, I will come to your house and put a poo through your letterbox. You know, it's just it's just trying to take your most. It's like in copy, most people talk about features, right? You know, this is a this is a pair of weird coloured glasses. We're both wearing weird glasses, you yeah. know. Um, and then you need to go to the benefit. Them being weird coloured means that they make you stand out. And then you need to go to the next step. Standing out means that you're probably going to get more business and whatever. So most of us just live in features land. This is what I do. Look at this work. We need to go to benefits and we need to go to advantages, which I think people need to push themselves through. And it's hard because someone is going to see you talking about fonts and go, well, I love Comic Sans and I find this post really offensive. And is it aimed at me? I think you're a terrible person, you know, and then you go, "Okay, I won't do any more posts about fonts because I don't want to upset you know random Sue online but you can't let Sue stop you living your best life you know poor Sue 
Look, I think it is definitely, particularly for designers, we're taught so much that it's just about your work. It's about how you, you know, I see so many designers putting out content about how to design. I'm like, but your client doesn't care how to design. They don't care how you put together a mood board. They care about the, that beautiful mood board and what it's going to mean for them and their brand ultimately. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so right. You, you don't want to just explain what you do. Sometimes it is about being contrary. So you talked about dying on a hill. It doesn't need to be that level of kind of mission and whatever, but it can be like, you know, please stop doing this in your design or I don't like these elements of design or this, you know, five things I'll never do or five things I love. It can be positive and negative, but it needs to be about taking and having an opinion about something because you do have them. Even if you just don't think you do, you do have, there's a reason why you will never put the logo in the center of a design. There's a reason why you use wiggles rather than lines. There's a reason why you choose Adobe Illustrator rather than what, there's a reason for everything. And you just need to dig in and find out what they are because that's what will resonate, as you said, not how I make a mood board, but two things I will never put on a mood board or why I hate mood boards. Yeah, look, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's just getting into the why and you know, letting people know a little bit more, digging a bit deeper. Which brings me on to the next thing I wanted to chat to you about, which I loved and it just really resonated with me, was in a recent podcast for your Clever Copy Chats. You talked about why most copywriters, I don't know if you said most, I might be exaggerating that, but why some copywriters copy sucks. And you and really you zeroed in on the idea that it's missing that big idea. It's missing the concept. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Yes. Because that's why a lot of brand design sucks too, because there's no idea in it. It's just aesthetic. It's just pretty for the sake of pretty. Choose a nice font, choose a nice color palette, which is on trend. Ta-da, here is your brand. And there's no more depth to it. Why is the concept missing? And why is it important? Yeah. And I, I think often the reason why people don't think in terms of concepts is because they're an autopilot. You just know what works. You just know that this color is going to look with this good look with this color and you just feel a vibe, you know, and it can be super hard to articulate that. So you don't, but you know, in agency land that you have to justify everything. So if I do a concept about, I don't know, let now try and sell me this pen, you know, that's the classic thing. Sell me this pen. So this pen is blue. You can't see it. People, it's got a little rubber at the end. And, um, you know, what's my concept going to be? I could, the concept could be that it writes so well, it could write in space, you know, and astronauts use it and it's the astronaut's pen, you know, and then that's the big picture. The whole theme is space and everything ties into that. And I'm going to talk about, you know, rockets and fuel and planets and, uh, and constellations. Or I could totally do a different direction and say, this is like a cake. I don't know you but do you see what I mean you have to rationalize it because otherwise I'll just have some copy that says this is a pen it writes yeah. nicely and it, yeah whatever it's features again right it's not benefits yeah. so I think in agency land often you would come up with a concept no idea where it came it's just inspiration yeah inspiration means breath of the gods and so it just comes to you but then afterwards you have to go to a creative director and they say well why did you think of that and you say well because and you have to rationalize it so really it's about when you do your design and the, you present it to the client, being able to say, when they say, why did you choose that color? Well, I felt like, I remember your design for Tapped In, and I, you know, it was blues, I think. I think the colors were blues. And, you know, yeah. why did you pick blues? You know, because they're cool and they're calm and they're whatever, you know, and people who give up alcohol want to feel cool. And, you know, even if it's post rationalization, that you try and sit down and think, why did I design it like that? Like, if I think about it, why did I choose that font? 
because I wanted it to be clear and I wanted, you know, why did I put the photo there and not there? Why did I use that photo? There's a reason and you just have to force yourself to think about it. So it's not necessarily about coming up with a concept beforehand. Sometimes you design it and then you rationalize the concept. But there must be a why. Yeah, there must be a why. Why did you do that like that? And if you can't articulate that, I think you need to try to, because that's really what's going to sell it to the client. Because otherwise you're like, yeah, I just like blue, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it becomes yeah. subjective. Whereas if you have a rational explanation, it, it removes the subjectivity. It's not about liking it and not liking it. This works because, you know, blue is the right color because, and, and therefore clients can't argue with you as much because you have a reason yeah. for everything you did. 100% agree. I think as well, if you challenge yourself a bit more on the why, your work becomes better because of it. Because you mm. might go, right, this is the solution. I've designed it. And then you go, oh, hang on. Now I'm going to post-rationalize it. And actually, maybe that didn't quite meet the brief. Maybe yeah. I can push this a little bit further. So yeah. it's also, it's almost part of the design process in a way, or the creative process if you're writing copy, because it pushes you to get a bit deeper and to sort of, I suppose, try a bit harder to really make it stand out and make it better. That's it. And I think the reason why a lot of uh, freelance designers and freelance copywriters don't do conceptual work is because we're always up against time. And we're always on, a, even though we don't charge by the hour, we're thinking by the hour, right? So the reason why it works in agency is yes, you have to be billable, but you're given space. That's why agencies have bean bags and bars and pool tables, because they appreciate that the best ideas don't come when you're at your desk. They come when you're walking the dog or having a poo. And unfortunately, as freelancers, we don't get to walk the dog and have a poo. We're always thinking, well, I can't waste an hour because that's an hour I'm not getting paid for. Yeah. And equally, the other problem is, is a lot of designers and copywriters work in isolation. And, you know, that is not how great ideas come about. It takes a village to come up with a good idea. And, you know, you and me, if we were an agency, we'd be working as a team. Uh, what a team we would be, Becky. Uh, oh. You know, and you'd be like, well, you know, from an, yeah, from an aesthetic point of view, I think blue. And I say, why blue? And you're like, well, oceans. And I go, okay, so we want to go with an ocean theme. And then I go, well, how about we push that and we do deep sea divers and you go, okay, well then I found this cool picture and I go, okay, well then I think these words would go and back and forth and back and forth. And you, we're rejecting ideas and accepting ideas and we're inspiring each other, but we don't get to do that because it's us on our own in a room. So those are the two main reasons, I think, time and lack of creative inspiration from other people stop us doing conceptual work. Uh, and it's not that the work isn't good, it's fine. It's passable, but sometimes we want to go beyond passable into excellent. And, and we maybe can't do that on every project, but maybe yeah. once in a while we can, you know. But excellent, I suppose, is then what sets you apart, mm. makes you a bit more compelling than every other copywriter or every other designer that isn't doing it. Mm. It's, it's a sort of opportunity and a competitive advantage in a way. Totally. And you know when you see it. Sometimes you'll see a piece of design and you'll be like, that is just amazing and sometimes even you can't articulate why that clicks with you you know like people often in my world from a copy point of view uh, talk about the brand who gives a crap because they write really great micro copy on packaging and on their boxes and whatever and you know they've just pushed it a bit further they're so friendly they're so familiar that they've become like the the example of what good conversational copy should be but someone somewhere took a risk with that at some point and pushed it a bit further and had a concept you know, and, and that's what makes them stand out. And we see it, we can't quite articulate why we love it so much, but we just do. And you feel it in your, you feel it in your undercarriage, you know, you just, it, you feel it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you got any tips for that? How you might, if you are working in a silo, let's say you're a lone designer or copywriter, 
how perhaps you bring that into your process a little bit more and give the concept a chance? Uh, give the concept a chance. <laughs> I think you have to allow time for your ideas to bake. So maybe you build for 20, 20 hours, but maybe you're the, the most often clients have no idea how long projects take, especially if they're not creative types, you know. So if you tell a client it's going to take four weeks, then they accept that it will take four weeks. And I think most of us as freelancers try and get projects done as quickly as possible because we want to move to the next one. But you can have multiple projects running concurrently. You need to give yourself time, air and space to breathe to have, you know, to do a design, sleep on it, come back the next day and go, actually, that was crap. We need to do that. So that's the first thing, I think. So allowing air, not in terms of hours, but in terms of breathing space. Yeah. Um, involving client more, so allowing more discussion time. So on any given project, I usually start with three hours discussion time. Now, most people usually allow an hour or so, but I want to talk to the client as much as possible so they feel like the concept is theirs. They feel like the idea is theirs and that needs a discussion. And yet often we close that down because we don't want to build too much. And we oh, why is the client calling again? It's brilliant that the client's calling again. You know, that means you've got a great relationship. And my attitude is that 50% of our work as freelancers is about the work and 50% is the relationship. Yeah. They won't remember the design. They'll remember how you made them feel. Did they enjoy working with you when the phone rang and it was you? Were they happy or were they like, oh, God, it's Becky? You know, can, if Becky's calling. Tell her I'm ill. Tell her I'm not here. You don't want that. So I think yeah. it's so time, discussion time with client and then do not work in a silo. You know, if you're a graphic designer, hire a, a junior, ha, work with a copywriter, join a membership, join a community and put your idea up when it's half done. And say, what does everyone think of this? And be open to the fact that everyone goes, I don't think, think that works or you should change that or I like this. And then take that feedback and move forward with it. So don't work in a silo. Find some buddies, you know, appreciate that whole idea that it takes a village and build a village. But not a group of... 200,000 female business owners on Facebook. No, don't do that thing where you're like, which logo do you like best? This one or this one? You've already chosen it. It's off at Vistaprint being printed, but you just want to get some engagement. You know, yeah, don't ask good. the question if you don't want the answer as well. Like if you put a design up, be ready for people not to like it. That's why you're putting it up. You don't have to agree with them, yeah. but that's the point, right? And I think we're all a bit scared that we're going to be cancelled <laughs> or ripped to shreds so it's about finding a nice a good community of people who have your best interests at heart and those big communities are not that they're like seagulls fighting over a chip most of the time so you know don't do it don't put it in that group we both know which group we know which about. one we're talking about and yeah. and I think that's the point know why you're doing it because if you're doing it for validation yes. just stop ask yeah. yourself why you need that validation yeah. in the first place go back go back to the concept and your why and work on that and then yeah. you know it's right because you know you cracked it because you did a good job with the original concept. Yeah. And you shouldn't need to ask people to, to pat stroke you on the bottom. your idea ego. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all need that now and again. It's lovely yeah. to get lovely feedback. But the only person's opinion that really matters is the client's. And that's the other thing. I think as designers and, and creatives and copywriters, our empathy and our ability to connect with our creative work is both our superpower and our kryptonite because it, we are so attached to our work that it feels like when that's criticized that we're being criticized, but we're not. It's something we produced for money for someone else. They are paying for it. Therefore, it's what they want, not what you want. And you can advise the client, but if they then say, I know you've told me that and I know I understand your why, but I don't like it, then you have to go, fair enough. It's your project. You're paying me, you know, so I'll do what you want. That's what I think anyway. I'm like, I'll push yeah. back once, but I'm not going to push back more than once. You know, I'm not your mum. 
No, you can take a horse to water, as they say. And I think that's to do with the relationship that you create with the client, Mm -hmm. that, dare I say, trusted advisor relationship. Absolutely. How much you've co-created that brief in the first place, so the client's on board and they understand what we're all trying to do here. So I think if if you go and thank you, client, for your brief, I'm going to go away and lock myself in a room now for four weeks and I'm going to come back to you and do the big ta-da. And they go, huh? That wasn't what I asked for. Then you are asking for trouble but if you've set it all up in the right way you've been on the journey yeah yeah I mean I think there should be 17 chats between brief and ta-da that the ta-da should not be a ta-da it should be like a ta-da-da-da-da you know so in 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 copywriting world and I don't know if you do this in design world but we do like a skeleton draft which is literally just the bullets of what the clients ask for and a small sample of copy then we do a first draft and the idea there is it's 60 percent done so there's 40% room for you to hate it, client. And I want you to go through, and I, it's fine if you hate it. You have to say that to the client. If you don't like this, that's fine. That's You're meant not to like everything at this point. And then the next draft is about 80, 90%. And then the final draft is the last 10%, just proofing and whatever. So that's four touch points with the client, four opportunities for them to give feedback, interact with you, agree on stuff. So that when the final draft is there, it's theirs as much as it is yours. Yeah. And I think the same with design. Sometimes I've worked with designers and, as you said, you just get given something as a fait accompli and you're like, I hate it. Didn't I get an opportunity earlier on to pick the colours? Didn't yeah. I get to tell you that I hate this kind of stock shot? And now it's done and I'm told that I've got to pay for it. Where was the chance for me to have interaction? You know, and it's hard to give negative feedback when you're working with. I'm now on the other side where I'm working with designers and copywriters and it's hard. The sooner I can tell you I don't like it, the better. And then we'll work towards something yeah. we both like hopefully it should never come to that where you've gone here's the finished product and they they hate it yeah I mean it shouldn't because if you've chatted along the way and you've listened but sometimes you do just get a bad brief you know and the client says I want it pink I want it fluffy I want it conversational I want it chatty and you do all of that and they say actually I don't like it because they need to see it to understand that they don't like and I think that's where you get better at briefing and you say okay send me some examples of sites that you like send me who you think is a great competitor of yours and you go well you know you said you weren't pink and fluffy none of your examples have been fluffy so why there's a cognitive dissonance there what you think you want and what you actually want are two different things can we get to the root of that before I start because the samples you're showing me are not the same as the words you are saying because again if you're not a great person you don't know how to articulate this how do I explain to you the design effect I, I keep on saying to my graphic designer can you make it more blobby I want it blobby. I don't want any hard lines. I want blobs. And she knows me now well enough to get that. But sometimes and I do drawings and send them to her. And I'm sure that it doesn't infuriate her now. She's like, that's fair enough because we get there quicker. But a lot of people don't know how to speak to designers. Yeah. They don't know how to say what color they, what color do you feel? What font do you like? Font? All fonts look the same to me. What are you talking about? Because it's the same as asking for that feedback. I, my view on feedback is... And there's lots of examples as well. Maybe it's urban myths about things that died in research. Apparently Dyson died in research when people were asked. But there's this idea that if you ask for people's opinion, they feel compelled to give you said opinion, right? So they'll kind of go, oh, okay, well, I better make this a really constructive and insightful point of view. And they overthink it almost. And they don't give that intuitive response. And it's the same thing when you ask a client to to be executional. Okay, well, what colors and fonts do you want? Or, or it like it's like a copywriter saying, what words should I include in this? And that client will feel compelled to give you an answer, but it probably won't necessarily be a useful one. Oh, I love that you've just said that. I so agree. And often you'll have to present the client with something for them to go, 
this is what I don't like about this. And therefore you need to be open to that. So, you know, you might use lots of words and I will say to the client, you know, you send copy off the client sometimes and they come back and say, I don't like it. And then you talk to them. They're like, I just don't like that word in the first line, but they're not good at articulating. So they just said they don't like it. And you're like, yeah. you know, I can, I can change that word. Great. We'll put that on the word list of words you don't like. Whereas if at the beginning of the project, I said, give me a list of words you don't like. They'd be like, what? I don't know what words I don't like. And yeah. have to see them to know them. So I just think iterative is the way and giving your clients lots of opportunities to give feedback, helping them give you feedback, you know, giving you examples of what they do like, even if they can't articulate why they like it. Yeah. But equally pushing the client and saying, you just saying I don't like it isn't enough for me. For me, giving feedback or sorry, extracting feedback. And I work with lots of designers to help them with that, with some of their mm. processes and extracting good feedback is a skill in itself. And I think Absolutely. designers often stop at the, here's the work. Now it's, it's kind of like that thing, the ball's in your court. Now I've sent you the three dates I'm available for that barbecue. I, I can forget about that now. And it's a bit like that with designers. Here you go, here's the work. You come back to me and tell, but actually nurturing, handholding the client through the feedback process and making sure that's good constructive feedback, like even going, well, I don't like blue. Well, okay, but why doesn't blue meet the objectives that we set when we co-created that concept of what this needs to do out in the world? Yeah. Because just not like, or I actually had it once working in a big agency in corporate. We were doing a big rebrand and we presented to the CEO, the the C-suite, I'm doing air quotes here. And it was really positive feedback, all good. Everyone went away. Yeah, I think we've cracked it. And then the obligatory feedback came back about a week later. And apparently the CEO's wife didn't like that particular color. Oh, that's and so the classic. It, it was great. I mean, it was just mental. The, the idea that that person wasn't even target audience. There was no rationale for the, for the why. But that might still meet the brief, regardless of whether that person likes it. So then we had to go through a whole process of managing the feedback loop. But that is part of it. As much as as creatives, we go, oh, for God's sake, now I've got to manage the client through this. It's actually just part of your job. It is. It is. Like I said, 50% is designing stuff. 50% is the client stuff. And we know an agency, they split those roles. You have an account manager. They're the ones who go for coffee with the client and chat and chit and chat and bring feedback back. And, you know, sometimes you're dragged in to present a concept, but they have different roles for that because they appreciate that they are wildly different skill sets. And sometimes the person who created the work is not the best person to take feedback on the work. You know, they're, they're, they're too close to it. So, but we don't have that luxury as solo business people. We have to put different hats on. And, you know, I love your point about color there, because if you don't have a reason why you chose blue, then when the wife comes back and says, I don't like blue, you can't push back because you didn't choose it for a reason. Whereas if you can go back and say, well, actually it's financial services brand, blue instills professionalism and whatever, you know, therefore, and it's on the cooler palette, it's, you know, we've got this pop color of orange and they've chosen it because of this and this and the contrast and the UX and the usability. Then it's like, well, stuff you wife. It doesn't matter because I've got reasons. And the wife just goes, I don't like it. It sounds more silly. But if you've just gone, I picked blue because I like blue. You know, if it's all subjective, so you're trying to move it away from subjective into objective. Is that the right one? I'm a copyright. I'm supposed to know my words. <laughs> you know, you're trying to have reasons and not just do it all from feels. Feels are great, 
but you have to turn feels into reasons so that you can justify them to the client so the client understands it and feels like they have a thought leader there like you said right at the beginning like a trusted advisor who's not just making it up as they go along even if you are making it up as you go along make it look like you're not but I I always say the creative process is it's a balance between intuition and insight. You can bring, you need to bring the two and they're both equally valid. Yeah. If it's all weighted towards one or the other, then, you know, it's misaligned basically. You just, you need to have both. Yeah. And I think we th- in the old days, we used to talk about left brain, right brain. Apparently that's yeah. not the right thing to say anymore. You know, we're majority right brain because we're creative types, but you need that left brain. You can't, you know, you need to be able to back up why you've got done what you've done. I love insight and intuition. And that's fantastic. So left brain, right brain, insight, intuition, yeah. rational, subjective. It's all about having that yin and yang in the process. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to talk about agency because an agency, as you know, mm. you do have that sort of close working relationship, designer and copywriter or in my case, designer and and brand strategist or the strategy person, but you're all under one roof. So you work together. It's your job to work together. And yeah, there might be a little bit of, you know, a little bit of elbowing, a bit of argy-bargy sometimes, but we're all working towards the same goal. But I think it's interesting then when you come into your own solo business and you're, you're the one thing, you are the copywriter, let's say, but you will need to very often potentially work with others to use Sarah's example. I was working on it and then we had a web developer working on it and we, you know, we had to come together. I'm interested from your perspective, like who does what, is there an order that it should happen in? You know, how, how do we get that good working relationship when we haven't got that enforced person in an agency saying you will work together? I think it's, I mean, I think the worst thing to do is rely on the client to facilitate that and make them some kind of mediator between you. Um, You know, the idea is that you should try and talk to the other creative. So, you know, as soon as I'm starting a project as part of my brief, I'll say, who are the other stakeholders? You know, have you got like as a copywriter, you're often working with an SEO consultant, a web developer, a graphic designer. Who are these other people? Okay, can we set up a meeting with all of them now? Because I don't want to be the enemy. I want us all to be friends. Now, in my mind, it mostly starts with the copywriter. They come up with the brand, the words. How would you describe your brand's values? How would you describe your brand personality? You know, getting that bit done is important. We want to be knowledgeable. We want to be professional. We want to be trustworthy. uh, We want to be kind. Okay. If you can't get the client to articulate those words, they can't give them to the graphic designer. Right. So once you've got the brand document or the ideas worked out, that's when you get the designer in. And then you start working on the copy as they start working on the brand creation, the colors, the logo, the general feel, the color palette, the font palette. So I do think that the copywriter is important in the beginning to help the client articulate their idea because they have to find the right words to give to the designer. But after that, you should work in tandem and it should cross over and cross over. And then the web developer needs to be brought in because I know plenty of graphic designers who design websites that aren't actually going to work you can't cut them up properly they're not going to be responsive you know you want that image to go halfway across that that text to go halfway across the image but also be on the page that isn't what happens when you move to a mobile what happens then it's not going to work so the developer needs to be brought in and and again often the client doesn't want to do all this because it sounds like money doesn't it It sounds like money but all it is is like a once a week check-in this is what i'm up to and the graphic designer goes i love that but i can't do that this is going to look crap and you go, okay, cool, I can rewrite that. Or the developer goes, 
I love your design, but that image isn't going to work. Okay, cool. I can change that. Rather than just handing stuff off and going, designer, here's your copy deck, do it. Because yeah. often the copywriter isn't even asked back at the end to see how it's all been laid out, you yeah. know? And, and there's and nothing more devastating, is it, than when you, it's like with me, if I take a brand to say guideline stage, like here's yeah. a new identity, this is how it's going to look. And the client's like, yep, yeah, enthusiastically nodding and off they go. And then I see it come to life a few months and later. Stuffed and it like, up. Oh, why did you do that? You didn't, oh, I wouldn't have done that. And it's so devastating to see it being, yes it is massacred and that's why you know you always screen grab your stuff before you send it to the client not after it's been fully designed it's I mean it is hard and and but I think it's really about not seeing the copywriter or the designer or the developer as the enemy and and talking amongst yourself not making the client the enemy either because there can be a lot of me and you chatting and going oh she's a bit of a nightmare isn't she oh never want to do that either but like not be, making the client the conduit because they will misconstrue the message. They may say eight of the things you said, but miss the last two and the last two are crucial. So just being everyone involved and there will be argy-bargy. There will be elbows. You're going to have to compromise. The copywriter is going to have to compromise. But if you're, as you say, you've got a common goal, it should be cool. And yeah. often it's about personality as well. Like, do you get on? Do you actually like working with this designer? And that's why if you can build your little village and you, you know, maybe you win a client and they need some copy and you say, well, I love working with this copywriter. We get each other. That can really help the client. So having people you can refer in your village makes this whole relationship easier. Yeah. I work with my designer, Sue. And as I said, I can say I need a blob and a thing and a thing. And she just understands now. All right. Now, Kate, you're maybe the membership queen can we say that on top of being the seo queen and lots of things so the so the main way to engage with kate toon is you have a couple of memberships yeah. seo copy i'm interested to know why memberships have been the thing that you've developed and that's where you've put your energy and what's yeah. it like what's it like being in a kate toon membership yeah i mean so i no longer have clients about three years ago i gave up on clients but every year i take on a couple of copy clients just to keep my hand in and and also to keep it real, like I don't want to take advice, you know, that whole line, you don't want to take advice from someone who isn't in the arena with you fighting with the other gladiators. As you said, I don't want to be on some lofty plinth passing down blobs of information to my lessers, right? <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down type. Yes, exactly. I want to be in the arena wrestling that client lion. So, you know, these days I have three elements, right? So I do teach SEO, but I do that via a course. That's old school. I started that in 2016 when courses were quite new. Would I choose that path again? Probably not. I'm not a fan of courses as much as I used to be because they're a one-time thing. You do the course two years later, you need to know that thing. Well, it's you did the course ages ago. What I like about memberships is the continual support. So now I've probably got about 400 members in my copywriting membership. My other membership isn't SEO, it's marketing, it's digital marketing. So it's right. through the line. We've got design, we've got podcasts, we've got legal and finance and HR. So it's just Ooh. basically how to be a business that's primarily using digital marketing as the way to drive yeah. traffic. So, I mean, what's it like being in a membership? I mean, the reason I've set them up is because I love a community. I'm going to hear this, you know, I, it's lonely. It's really yeah. lonely what we do. And so I want I want somewhere so I can go and share jokes and have people laugh them. I want somewhere where I can say I'm having a bad day. What would you do? And I want someone where, where I can go and get my bottom patted. The fact that I'm, there are 400 other people in there. In a virtual either. way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and physically. So it's about, it's mo mostly about community. That's the biggest thing. Like we are a Viking gang. We are 
a horde of people together and we will be stronger together than we are alone. That's number one. Number two, it's about coaching. Like the discussions we're having now, we wouldn't have been able to have this discussion 10 years ago because we wouldn't have been able to say half the things we know. And there's some people who have 10 years behind us in the journey and we can help them, right? Like someone just saying stuff like, you meant the client's meant to not like the first draft. And you go, oh, okay. I thought I was supposed to nail it you, every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need someone older and wiser to say that to you now and again. And then the next part is education. Like it's impossible to keep up with everything. Like Instagram seems to be changing every two minutes. I don't know anything about Instagram. So in my membership, I've got an Instagram expert and they can tell me best practice, last minute stuff. So those would be the three things really community coaching and education. And it's just a laugh as well. Like I, I miss that whole water cooler going yeah. to the, you know going to the pub on a Friday not now I would be a real bore because I don't drink but you want to have that you want to have somewhere where you can just go and share a meme of like a piglet or something and just, <laughs> do you know what I mean I, I totally know what you mean do you know what when I so I left agency in a like puff of smoke basically <laughs> and went on and had my my kids and I had my yeah. kids in very close succession like they yeah. were they're literally a year apart and came to a very quick realization that I would never, could never go back to agency. Mm. And, you know, agency does definitely take something out of you, which sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? it? Takes your pound of flesh, has its pound of flesh. But so there was a while there where I was like, I don't miss that community at all. I'm quite enjoying the isolation here. I'm quite enjoying the removal from the politics. And but then as time went on and my kids got a bit older and they didn't need me as much. And then I was here in my little office. It, it, certainly over the last few years, I have come back to realize mm. how much I do value having that community. And, yeah. and sometimes I think people, it's thrown up, it's bandied about, isn't it? Oh, you've got to have a community around you. What does that even mean? But I do think having that non-judgmental, like-minded group where you can just throw things out there and get a response or sometimes just go, you know, I'm having a bit of a shitty day. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's important. And, you know, yeah. I often, I'm actually, my membership for that, the digital group is open now and it's really hard for me, even as a copywriter to articulate that group. I've just done quite a bad job of it because it's so broad. Like it's not about copywriting. It's not about SEO. It's not about design. It's all everything. It's like digital marketing. What does that mean? And the commonality in that group is that it's a sense of humor in a way. It's a, it's a vibe. It's that sounds so cheesy. Like, you know, sometimes you meet like we've just chatted now and I'm like, I would like to go for a cup of tea with this woman. She's fun. I could imagine going out with you and we'll have a laugh. And yet there's other people I meet online. I'm like, oh, Christ, God, awful. You know, not would ever say that. And over time, you accumulate more and more of those people that you like. You know, maybe you're not best mates with them, but you just you just like their vibe. And that to me is what my membership is. Like I would personally go for a, a non-alcoholic beer with every single one of them, you know, and and they all connect with each other and it and it becomes it does become a little bit of a vibe you know and we're not particularly positive we're quite negative sometimes quite snarky sarcastic uh super positive other days so i don't know it's a weird one but i do need it i need it way more than i used to because i was just head down bum up when my kids were li my kid was little just making money and now i've got to my i've made a bit of money and i'm like it's not enough actually i need to feel fulfilled i need to feel happy i need to enjoy coming to work each day and part of that is a bit of human connection you know yeah. it's important i love what you just said and you did say it earlier as well and i think mm. it's kind of the nail on the head really and it's what you don't necessarily got get from instagram and you don't get it from the gurus 
is that permission to be a bit negative sometimes yeah, I want to yeah. have a bitch and a moan sometimes yeah because sometimes it's crap yeah you know I did a rant reel the other day and like it, like with dating running a business is not all passion and enthusiasm you know it's not like I said it's not the relationship equivalent of a hot date it's the relationship equivalent of taking the recycling out every day <laughs> like most of running a business is boring and a boring business is often a successful business. If you're constantly having highs and lows, something's not right. You know, you've got to, it's got to be consistent and unemotional. And, you know, that's the hardest lesson to learn that a good business is drama free. It's not about peaks and troughs. It's about a steady contentment, a good vibe each day. And a lot of that will be quite boring, but that's okay. You know, we're all looking for the thrill, the big award, the, the mastermind, the lady lunch, the whatever. That's all the fluff. Most of the time, you're going to be at your desk moving that one pixel to the left, you know, most of the time. And you have to enjoy that bit. You've read The Simple Art of Not Giving an F. He in there talks, he's a Buddhist principle. He borrowed it. But, you know, that marathon runners don't aren't good at marathon running because they like the race. They're good at marathon running because they can get up at 5 a.m. every day and run for 10 kilometers or 20 yeah. kilometers. We've got to be able to do enjoy the process, not the destination. And I think that's one of the hardest things to learn as a, as a business owner, that it's not the thrill and the blood and guts. It's the boring stuff that really makes a business work. Oh, my God. Kate Toon on that bombshell. Yes to all of that. Apart from that word of massive word of wisdom you just shared, is there anything else before we say cheerio? that you would like to share that we haven't had the chance to talk about any final words of tune wisdom no not really I mean I think just persistence and consistency not in terms of posting at a regular time every Monday on Instagram but turning up each day and and just doing whatever you feel capable of because you know Stephen King for example says you know he sits at his desk every day from nine to five some days he writes 10,000 words the other day he just cleans his desks and does nothing but a lot of being good in business is just turning up, you know? Yeah. And, and I think I've turned up for a long time, which is why the Kevin Bacon thing is there. I just haven't given up. Yeah. Have I been successful the whole time? No, I have absolutely not. But I keep turning up until people just get so sick of me, they give me money to buy my course or whatever. And <laughs> give that, me money to shut you up. Yeah, just wear people it's down. Money. That's my that's my advice. Just break people slowly over years, like a like a, a, a drip of water breaking through a rock. A disease. One day they will become your client. That's it. <laughs> Sound advice, Kate. Oh, thank you so much. I have loved this conversation and I know that we uh, there's so much more we could talk about. So thank you again for coming thank on and you. sharing all your wisdom. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me, Beck Hughes, on the C Word podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe, leave a review and share with your friends and business buddies who might like to listen in too. The music for this podcast is by Red Productions on Pixabay.